Happy New Year, and welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast. Every week, as you know, we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young. I'm an editor and a reporter here at EdSurge. By now, I am sure you have heard about ChatGPT. It's an AI chatbot that can do something that's both impressive and kind of creepy. When you type in a question on just about any topic, it can quickly spit back an answer, informed by information it draws from the internet. Now, that might just sound like a Google search, but this chatbot can deliver full paragraphs of information, and it does so in a way that seems like there's another person on the other end having a conversation with you. This chatbot was released in late November, so it's really only been out for a few weeks. But already it is sparking a kind of existential crisis for educators at all levels. Because as students are already starting to figure out, this chatbot can easily spit out long-form answers to the kind of questions that are typical in writing assignments at school and college. A recent headline in the Atlantic magazine put it bluntly. Will chat GPT kill the student essay? So for this week's podcast, we're looking at the potential impacts of this new AI bot. To do that, we're talking with a couple educators who have tried this chatbot and already had some surprising interactions. If you hadn't fully understood why this whole thing might be a big deal, this might bring it to life a little bit. First, I connected with Shelly Ruff, who works in ed tech and is a former fifth grade teacher. She was sitting around her house on a recent weekend when she first took ChatGPT for a spin. And her 16-year-old son happened to be in the room. He's a pretty savvy kid. He's a sophomore in high school. Um, so I had my computer up. I was just, we had been talking about this tool. I had a few minutes. So I started typing in a couple of things. Um, he walked past me said, good morning. And he glanced at my screen and he's like, oh, chat GPT. I know how to use that. And I was like, seriously? He's like, oh yeah, I've been using it for like the last two weeks, creating a cup. I'm like, hold on. Um, what, what, how are you using it? And, um, he says, well, let me, let me show you. Can I use your computer? I'm like, absolutely. So he sits down. I'm watching him. He's like, watch this mom. I'm like, okay. And he types in a prompt and it says, um, and I, I had to take a picture of it because I was just like, what? I have no 16 year olds that I had encountered had like verbalized us. He's like, watch this mom. So he says, um, write a four paragraph thousand word essay on the human nervous system. And he presses enter and He's like, sometimes it takes like 10, 15 seconds. I was like, sure, let's just, watch. let's just watch. So, I mean, he's got the process down, you know. And I was like, wow, that's pretty great. It had, it had spit out an essay in the, thir- in the 20 seconds. Yeah, in and it was thir- beautiful. Exact, exact parameters. But I know my son. He doesn't speak like any of those words that just came up. And he's like, I'm not done. And I was like, oh. So he's like, next command, he types in, simplify all complex words. Um, and then it eliminates or simplifies all complex words. And I was like, okay, that was smart. And I wouldn't have thought about that. And he's like, not done. I'm like, okay, one more time. <laughs> and he said, now make it sound like a sophomore in high school said it. Enter. And I was like, what? Like, he's like, yeah, got a solid five on my last, my last uh, test for this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? 
Five out of five. Five out of five, yeah. So they do standards based learning, right? Outcomes. And um, five is the, you know, five was like the, the, the score. Um, and I was like, I, how long have you been using this? I needed to know more, right? And I just was kind of more blown away and wanted to know how he learned about the tool, how, what happened. And digging in a little bit more, he said, well, TikTok. He's like, I would have never thought about this ever until I was on my For You page and I came up and he saw it. He's like, mom, I stopped everything I was doing. <laughs> I was like, wait, someone had told me how I can write an essay, how I can make it sound like I did the research and make it sound like it came from, you know, a sophomore in high school. I asked Shelly Ruff to go back to her son and ask which TikTok video was it that first led him to this chat GPT tool. She did that. And it turns out the first one he says he saw was actually by a professor who uses TikTok. Specifically, it was by an associate professor of great books at St. Thomas University who uses the TikTok name Great Books Prof. Here's the audio from that TikTok post. I'm a university professor, and I think artificial intelligence and chat GPT are about to change education forever. I've been asking chat GPT to just respond to simple essay prompts and watch what happens. Write an essay on the ghost in Shakespeare's Hamlet. And then in seconds, the AI responds to the prompt and writes an essay on Hamlet. So some students are going to start using this today to start writing their essays. So I'm guessing that this was the beginning of a rabbit hole the student went down where he found videos that gave more specific instructions on how to use ChatGPT for essay writing. He's like, so um, I was in the middle of, of telling all of my friends how to also use the tool and use it well. He's like, but the school then figured out quickly, they blocked the websites on their systems. He's like, but I can use it at home on my computer. You know, we have a school issued computer. He's like, but I can use it in Vine. And then I can copy and paste and make sure it's in my documents for or notes for when I need it for later. So bless his heart. Um, I was like, okay, next tool. We've got to figure out how to accommodate such quick information, um, making it sound like you said it, but also how do we hold you accountable for your learning um, using this tool, right? And what does that look like as a resource versus being blocked and telling students they can't use it? Because I feel like sometimes they just double down on figuring out how to bypass the, you know, the restrictions instead of using it as a tool um, to help further their learning. The minute you start avoiding it and the minute you create a boundary, there are students who need to challenge the boundary, right? So it's like, um, okay, let's lean into this for a little bit. Let's take a minute. Let's use the tool. Let's show us, show me what you got. And then, you know, this is, we've got, I've got to figure out a way to give you credit for resourcefulness using the tools that you have, but also a way of showing your learning, maybe not in writing. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're taking this in stride. Obviously I'm sure, you know, you, it's your, it's your son, you know him as a whole, but I'm sure a lot of listeners will be like horrified because someone is, because someone is cheating. And so what do you say to like, okay, he's turned in a couple assignments. This is so new, obviously like, you know, obviously this is a, uh, this has only been happening recently, but it's, but it's also, you know, a nightmare as far as like, you know, uh, right. Holding academic a, integrity, a student, right. Accountable for integrity, essentially. Right. Too. And I think, I think, um, cause I have been teaching for a while. I do have kids. I have learned, um, you can't get reactive on things that are going to happen. Kids figure out ways to do things. And if you, 
you have to you have to figure out a couple of steps ahead a little bit, right? And so for me and my personal approach, um, I think it's kind of validating. Great, you found a cool tool. Again, let's talk about integrity. Let's talk about this. We'll talk about why it's important, why this could be a problem for you going forward, right? And then how we're going to handle it. So for me, it's just keeping a dialogue open through thinking processes too, because I just, when you're met with boundaries with kids, they're just, it's, it becomes a challenge. How, how, how can we also go around this? Right. And I, I think that's, that's why parents are tired. <laughs> that's why teachers are tired. Right. <laughs> Cause you constantly have to be like, okay, what's next? What's new? That university professor on TikTok also noted that the implications of this tool run deep. Here's the rest of his post. Our first instinct might be to say, this is cheating, this is academic misconduct, but I think this poses for us deeper questions about the nature of education and writing, honestly. Now, a few things I notice about these essays. First of all, they're pretty shallow. The level of analysis is actually pretty superficial. The the insights are not very deep. That said, I think what ChatGPT produces is something equivalent to like a C or C- paper in my class. If I read this, I would think, well, this person hasn't read the book, but maybe they've been paying attention in class. One giveaway is that the grammar is perfect, but the ideas are not very interesting. So it's pretty rare that you see a combination of like super vague analysis and perfect grammar. So it looks like something that came from the internet and not from a person. But these programs will get better and students will get better at, at using them as tools. And so it really is going to put a lot of pressure on us to, to rethink our pedagogy, our teaching, and to think about what we are trying to teach when we assign essays. And if the work we assign can be easily done by a robot, instantly done by a robot, is it worth assigning at all. And Shelley Ruff is also interested in positive uses of this tool in education. One reason she thought to try it in the first place was she wonders if she can use it in her own work as a customer success manager at Instructure, which makes the Canvas learning management system used by many schools and colleges. Learning's different than it ever has been. And so when I see that, I have to take a step back myself and be like, oh, how would I use that? Okay, well, let's say I'm writing a grant for something that I want to do that I don't know much about. I, want, I, I would love for, like, type in my very specific um, questions and write this and then take that as a resource of what I already know and the tools and how do I create my own, you know, resource for my projects that I'm doing. Is that different, you know, when I'm creating a report for work or some sort of summary on what I've been working on? Uh, to show my manager or my executive team, right? You know, where's the line? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, like I said, I, I just have chosen not to get reactive about stuff because stuff gets shared with me that way, right? Um, and then had I been reactive, I probably wouldn't have had a kid that would have shared that with me, right? And then I would have been like, oh my gosh, you're doing so great in science. I'm not going to read your essay, you know, if you're having a problem, I'm going to read your essays. But if you're doing great, we as parents are like, whew, good. One last thing to worry about, right? And so kids know that too. So um, keeping dialogue open has been something that's kind of helped learn those things that they're dealing with that I didn't have to navigate as a kid or, you know, going through school. Yeah, I feel like, you know, there's this the Turing test, right? It's just this famous test of like, if you can... If in a chat bot interaction, are you able to tell if it's a real person or a robot? In a way, is there a, a resource that a you know plagiarism detection could detect whether it's Chat GPT or a human? 
or is the whole point of this that that Turing test has has been pa- broken and and passed, and we're we're now in this new world? Um, I think I think it just leads to the next thing, right? Like, okay, now this is where we're at. Education isn't ending. The way kids are learning is changing. All of these things are constantly changing, right? So now that we have this tool and we're talking about it, now it's time to figure out how to, you know, like figure it out, right? It's the next step. So, okay. So you came up with this resource. I'm also have a resource here that's going to let me know if it's a student or bot, right? Like, I, I, I just, I just think it's like, okay, let's sit back and wait and see. Who's going to come up with a solution to this problem? <laughs> so it seems like it seems like it's a big one in that um, you know there seems like an existential crisis as this you know technology gets better because what if you know maybe right now there is a detectable way to 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 check whether it's your sixteen year old or a bot, um, but it seems like we might this suggests that there will be a day where those things aren't aren't algorithmically detectable. So then, then what? I mean, it feels like the only way to educate in that world is to do one-on-one tutoring human to human, uh, to know that there's integrity. Well, and, and, and this though, this though, and it's where education starts to move and we hear some talk about it, but it's the experiential learning. It's the depth of knowledge, right? If you can write me a paper, you're, you might have some incredible skills in being able to create language around the topic that you know. But show me. Show me what you've learned. Can you teach me how to do that? Right? Like, and that's, I think, where educators really want to see, like, concepts being learned. Cool. So, great, great essay. 10 out of 10. Um, now, teach me and the class some of the four key points that you would take right to do this. That's your depth of knowledge next step. And I think I think once we start moving away from some of these um, essays, and they, they are easier to grade, right? They're easier to assign. They're easier to put on an LMS here. It's trickier to show um, learned outcomes when you're not asking for written um, assignments to be turned in. Um, and in a more digital world and a little more of a a platform and we're looking for ways of meeting needs of educators and students and blended and accessibility. Um, how am I going to show you via zoom or recording or something that I can also show you that I've learned the concepts at a depth of knowledge that also justifies the grade that this beautiful essay also did. So I don't know. I think, I think, I think as we start to like look at the structures of education, a little differently and we're looking for those things and we want to see what people are doing. Um, that's kind of the natural pathway. And that's what I'm here for. I love stuff like that. And I'm like, Oh, this person's figured this out. Let's share it. You know, let's do it. <laughs> so I found Shelly rough because she wrote about this experience with her son and her thoughts about chat GPT on an essay that she posted on LinkedIn. Does he know you wrote this LinkedIn? Piece? I actually showed him yesterday and I was like, <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> he was like, Oh, that. Yeah. Well, he's definitely not alone. So it is true that he's willing to share something that other people are doing in secret. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, hey, hey, buddy, this is your integrity is at stake here, too. So I'm glad you're sharing with me. But this is also something that, you know, you got to be careful. Yeah, I do about, wonder. So. I did wonder when his teachers read your LinkedIn article because uh, they know who he is. But I don't know. I'll leave that to y'all. 
The situation that educators are facing right now with ChatGPT, it isn't entirely unprecedented. Math professors faced a similar existential crisis when graphing calculators first came out, as well as more recent tools that can solve advanced math problems with a simple click of a button that used to be the main thing students would be asked to do for for tests or quizzes. As I was working on this, I noticed a tweet by Robert Talbert, a math professor at Grand Valley State University, who has long blogged about teaching practices. In his tweet, he noted that the math field has had to deal with this in the past, so I reached out to him to get his thoughts about ChatGPT. He started by joking about his awkward first encounter with this new AI chatbot. And I, could, I didn't know what to say when I got there. <laughs> like, well, now I'm, now I'm face-to-face with artificial intelligence. What do you do? And I like, kind, of, kind of panicked. I didn't know what to say. So what does Robert Talbert think that this new tool could mean for teaching? I mean, what I really should do is feed it a calculus word problem and see if it can figure it out. I remember uh, when Wolfram Alpha, which is a, a website uh, made by Wolfram Incorporated, which makes this computer algebra system. And Wolfram Alpha is a website that has been around for about 15 years now. And it, it has natural language parsing. And so you can ask it like, you know, uh, how many teaspoons are in a cup or something like that? And it'll know what you mean. And I remember one of my students literally copying or typing in one of the word problems from calculus into Wolfram Alpha to see if it would do it. And that was 15 years ago. I said, oh, that's ridiculous. That's not artificial intelligence. Well, now here we are. I mean, maybe this is it. So, yeah, the personalized feedback loops are very, very difficult to do if you're not human to human. I mean, or like one human to one human, okay? Uh, In a large section course where you might have 300 students, it's human to human, you know, but it's, 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 it's artisanal, right? And you have to get really close in to small groups of people or one on one even to kind of make this work. And so... You know, as David Clark and I have been writing this book about alternative grading systems, and that's coming out in probably April of 2023, uh, you know, that's the thing we keep, that's the number one problem we encounter, you know, that, that people pose to us about this, that we don't know the answer to it. It's like, what if I have a large section class and no teaching assistance? It's like, well, this this stuff may not be for you if that's the case, because nobody has broken this yet. And so I'm, I'm really curious to see, like, could something like ChatGPT provide an automated feedback loop process that could take a student's assignment, look at it, and like give point by point by point feedback about what was good and what wasn't good, and then actually engage in an ongoing conversation with that student intelligently, you know, about you know how they how they can improve. Well, you know, <laughs> to me that's like. That's an amazing breakthrough if you can do that. But I really, I'm really, i concerned about the, uh, the, the unintended consequences of that as well. But if, to me, I, f- I find a lot of hope in the fact that we're kind of on the verge of having that technology ready. And the unintended consequences, I imagine, are for the teaching profession? Yeah, because, I mean, then the, the uh, like my provost could say, well, that's fantastic. Now we can give you 400 students <laughs> you know? instead of keeping it capped at 32, which is my current course uh, enrollment limit precisely because, you know, we're, we're a teaching focused university and we believe in the feedback loop. And so you have, when you start getting 40 students in a class, 40 students in a class, I mean, the feedback loop starts to break down. It's just over, it doesn't have the capacity for it. But, you know, if it's, if you can have an AI do a lot of that work, or at least assist you with that work, like maybe flag certain students, like give, give sort of bottled feedback to students who, uh, you know, who, uh, uh, you know, don't need a ton of feedback. 
and then really focus you on the students that do. And I mean, there could be some some consequences we don't like about that. Yeah, that's the trick, right? Because I, I feel like of all the things that I see, I see a little less excitement and innovation in some ways in higher ed. And I worry, I think it's because of that moment where it's like, well, yeah, this could come and help me be better and more effective, or it could be used by administrators to make my life worse. Right. So administrators have really got to be, again, coming back to administrators, I've been working for the last year in my university's president's office. And so I've been up in the business of all of our senior leadership team. And we have a fantastic senior leadership team here. Generally speaking, around the globe, I think administrators, this is, this is a moment for administrators to really show some leadership about quality teaching and learning. We've got to, or it's going to overtake the entire industry, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, I mean, it's, this is a moment of, of truth and a moment of clarity for those who are in leadership positions to clarify just what exactly do you stand for as a university and how is it actually showing up in the classroom, which is where you do most of your business. And so the ideal would be what, to reassure professors that they won't be just Number given... one, yeah, to just sort of say, go on the record to say, like, we've got your back. I mean, we know you're, you, we know what we're about. This is where we're headed, and we are not going to start creating... If we, if we have 30 student classroom classes, and we're not going to create 300 student classrooms because technology allows us to do so, okay? Uh, that moment passed by so many other industries, uh, you know, to say, like, we could affirm you know, the, the, uh, the, the fundamental, you know, dignity of work in our industry, but we just chose to, you know, scale instead uh, for profit. Uh, and I, we got to, this is our chance to avoid that. But also, you know, it's a moment to start not just words, but to like building things into policies to say, you know, uh, for example, you know, when we are awarding you tenure, okay, what we expect to see is in your teaching is practices that are backed up by scientific research as being beneficial to students. Okay, if that's not there, there are going to be some hard questions for you at your promotion and tenure review. I mean, that would be... A lot of people don't like that because it sounds like we're telling professors how to teach, but yeah, we're telling professors how to teach. <laughs> and I think that's okay. I mean, I think that's to some level. I mean, we, we do this already. I mean, we can... If I, if I wanted to teach by, like hitting my students with a with a stick every time they get a math problem wrong. I mean, they're going to tell me you can't do that, okay? Uh, so if something's obviously beneficial to students and we can go that direction and we don't, I mean, who are we? I mean, what what is our ethos? I mean, what, what are we about? And so I, I don't see yeah, – I think this is a good moment for, you know, administrators who have the power to uh, at least – empower faculty to do this kind of thing to get it done and say this is what the expectations for quality teacher are going to look like from here on okay we can't we we don't have we don't have the margins in our budget anymore to have ineffective teaching practices okay the 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 old days you know when we had unlimited state appropriations and we could just do whatever we want it was going to be okay or gone and they are not coming back and nobody's going to come to our rescue yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and it sounds like in the GPT chat of the student, you're not assigning essays. So in a way, in a way, the current, you know, 
concerns are not really your classroom at this moment, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, but I do assign the... proofs, though. I mean, I, I, mm. there's a lot of writing that goes on in math classes. And I, thought, I think a lot of people don't realize that. And, you know, mm. in my upper-level abstract algebra classes, it's all writing. It's like, here's a, here's a theorem, and I want you to go prove this theorem. Okay, well, that's not fundamentally different from writing an essay. It's just more more technical. Or if I giving... Uh, I give a programming assignment to my discrete math students. They got to write the code, which can be, you know, we have, you know, GitHub Copilot too, which is the chat GPT equivalent of, you know, it, it writes code for you. And they've got to explain how the algorithm works, which can be done by, you know, possibly by an AI. So yeah, seeking, so, I mean, it's, it can totally, it totally impinges upon how math is taught. I mean, unless you are teaching math in such a way that it's just rote mechanical calculations, in which case that was obsolete 15 years ago because Wolfram Alpha could do it. <laughs> okay, We bought ourselves 15 years worth of time by sort of focusing on conceptual understanding, but now, you know, the clock's starting to hit midnight. So, you know, what do you do? Oh my gosh, it's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, that's for sure, yeah. So this free AI chatbot seems to have opened a Pandora's box. And I keep getting surprised by how broad the impact might be for education. It's not even just about student essays. This chatbot, fed by the information on the internet, will likely impact math and engineering and just about every field. And for this episode, I thought I should ask this chatbot something. So I typed in, how will you impact education? To the chat GPT, here's what it says. As a language model... I am not able to impact education directly. However, I can provide assistance and support to students and educators by answering questions and providing information on a wide range of topics. I can also help with language-related tasks, such as proofreading and summarizing texts. I hope that by helping people to learn and communicate more effectively, I can contribute to the overall improvement of education. Feels like it's a... uh, It's doing some PR for itself. All right. And then I typed, what about the downsides? There are a few potential downsides to using language models like me in education. One potential issue is that students and educators may rely too heavily on me or other language models for information and guidance, which could limit their critical thinking and problem-solving skills. It is important for students to learn how to find and evaluate information for themselves, rather than simply accepting whatever they are told or read. Oh wait, there's more. Additionally, language models like me do not have personal experiences or perspectives, so it is important for students to consider multiple viewpoints and sources when learning about a topic. Finally, it is important for students to learn how to communicate effectively with other people which may not be possible if they rely too heavily on language models for language-related tasks. All right. Thanks. It says, you're welcome. Let me know if you have any other questions. This has been the EdSurge Podcast. Every week, we tackle big ideas and how learning is changing. If you like the show, please follow the EdSearch podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend so we can continue to grow. This episode was produced by me, Jeff Young, and you can find me on Twitter at jryoung or at jeffyoung.net. I suspect that this is not the last time we will talk about ChatGPT, 
So feel free to send me your stories or experiences with this chatbot. I can be reached at jeff at edsurge.com. Music for this episode was by Rowan Jane. We'll be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks for listening.